Today's gospel story takes place immediately after last week's gospel story. And I'm going to kind of retell kind of the setting uh, in case some of us forgot or we weren't tuned in uh, last week. So there is the feeding of the 5,000. And then we had last week's gospel and this week's gospel. And then on the other side of that, we have the feeding of the 4,000. And so it forms what my seminary professor called the sandwich or the inclusio. And it gives us the imagination that perhaps everything that happens between this feeding and that feeding somehow goes together. Somehow it's related, right? Where I come from in New Orleans, we had the sandwich called the muffalata. And it's got these two pieces of bread, and there's a lot of stuff in between, right? You might find some olive salad. You might find some provolone, mortadella ham, parmesan. There's a lot on there, but it's, it's all between those two pieces of bread. You're supposed to get your mouth around it, and it's all supposed to go together somehow. And so we can ask the question, what is going on here in this sequence? Well, last week, if you remember, the Pharisees were complaining about how Jesus' disciples were coming to the table, Right? They weren't happy about how they were eating with unclean hands. And so Jesus had to tell them, you know what actually makes you unclean? It's the stuff that comes out of your heart. And he actually tells the Pharisees that they're actually the ones that even though their hands are clean, they're the ones that are unclean. And then what happens in in our gospel reading today? Well, there's a Gentile woman. She's a Syrophoenician Gentile woman. Talk about unclean. And she has a daughter with an unclean spirit. And it turns out that even though she is like definition of unclean, she is able to become clean by the power of Jesus. Remember, it's all in the sandwich, so we can all connect it about who is being welcomed to the table and who finds themselves on the outside. And it's actually surprising the kinds of people that are able to come to Jesus. And then, of course, after that, we have this man who who is not only deaf but has a stutter, and he's healed, and somehow we find out that that all is going to somehow connect. Our, our gospel passage starts off today. Jesus set out away to the region of Tyre, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. It's Labor Day weekend. Jesus is trying to get out for the weekend. He's going to watch the synagogue online. He's going to go out to Tyre. The tiger's just full of pagans, right? No one knows him. He doesn't have any Jewish cousins in Tyre. It's a spot where he thinks, hey, this is like enemy territory, but maybe if I go over there, I'll just be able to get a break from all these folks that are always coming out, wanting me to teach them, want me to heal. Even Jesus needs Labor Day weekend every now and then, right? And so he's out there, but unfortunately, his teaching and his deliverance ministry is so popular that even the folks from Tyre know about him, and they are coming out to be healed by him. And so we find out about this woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit, and she heard he was there, and immediately she goes, and she bows at Jesus' feet. She throws herself at Jesus' feet. And then the text says, now, the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, I want to remind you, if you don't know, that Tyre is literally enemy territory for the Jews. The most prominent first century Jewish historian, Josephus, wrote this. The people of Tyre are notoriously our bitterest enemies. They are notoriously our bitterest enemies. There is serious animosity between these two groups. 
and I'm trying to think of an analogy. Actually, today, it's really not that different in this area. Certain Jewish people that are living in that same space would consider the people that are living in present-day Lebanon on maybe the same terms and vice versa. She's Gentile and Syrophoenician. What's interesting is Mark uses that word Syrophoenicia, which just means she's Phoenicia and from Syria. Matthew uses a funny word to describe her. Matthew describes her as the Canaanite woman. You want to know that's a, why that's a funny way to describe her? Because no one had been using that word Canaan for several hundred years at this point. It's an older word. You might imagine someone come down from Pennsylvania to visit Athens, Georgia on a business trip, and then later she describes a man she met as a confederate. You might look at her funny, right? Well, it's true, Georgia did belong to the South, right? But the confederacy doesn't exist anymore. So why would you call that man a confederate? Why would Matthew call this person a Canaanite? Canaanites or the ancient arch enemies of God's people. And so this word uh, connotates an animosity between uh, God's people and the people of this land. You see, the story isn't just about this woman and this incident. This woman represents an ancient rivalry that seems to have no end. And so the Gospels are trying to tell us something. I don't know if you know this, but the Gospels aren't just a story about how Jesus is the Son of God, although they are about that. And they aren't just a story about how Jesus died to save us from our sins, although they are about that. The Gospels actually work really hard to demonstrate that Jesus is Israel's Messiah. In every Gospel you read, it's a very Jewish story, and it's about how Jesus is the culmination of this story. And not only that, these Gospels are trying to show us what kind of Messiah Jesus is. A major question in this passage is, how will the Messiah deal with the enemies of God's people. You might say it like this. How will the Messiah put an end to the seemingly endless hostility between these ever-present enemies? It turns out that many rabbis in Jesus' day would not even have engaged a Gentile in conversation, much less a Gentile woman from this region. And now this woman is literally throwing herself at Jesus' feet. Can you imagine? Can you picture this? I picture a woman from Gwinnett County. She's got her Falcons jersey, and she sees Drew Brees, and she just throws herself at, her, at his feet, and she just says, save me, Drew Brees. I'm just messing with you guys. Just a little bit of taunting here. Football season has started. It really, you know, with college, especially yesterday. And we're going to have to ask God's grace for us in this season. Um, I was at the beach this weekend, spent a little time there with, with our family and Destin. I drove up and uh, we had an amazing, the kindest man you'll ever meet intern with us in LA from Auburn. So I'd asked him for a restaurant recommendation. And when I went in there, I'm like, why did I do this? It's game day. Everyone's wearing their Auburn jerseys. It was disgusting. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, animosity, right? So you can imagine the animosity between Saints fans and Falcons fans, whatever kind of animosity you can imagine, it's there. And so it's really wild that a woman like this is throwing herself at the feet of a man like Jesus. 
And so there's high drama at this point in the story. And the question is, how will Jesus respond? He answers her with something that's a little bit surprising probably to some of us. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take what is the children's and give it and throw it to the dogs. Wow. How do you come back from something like that? Well, the Syrophoenician comes back pretty fast. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What an amazing response of humility and faith. And so Jesus says, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Now let's break it down for a second and just ask the question, what is going on in this dialogue? So I just want to name two things that aren't going on. One, Jesus isn't losing a debate <laughs> to the Syrophoenician woman, okay? She didn't checkmate Jesus or one-up Jesus. So now he's like, okay, you know what? You got me. Like I was trying to like throw one at you, and now you won. And so kind of against Jesus' will, he couldn't come up with a comeback, but he felt like he kind of had to exercise that demon out of her daughter because she kind of won the, the thing, right? So... Some of us might think of it that way, but that's definitely not the kind of story that Mark is trying to tell about the Messiah. And then I want to also just name, because I think it's important to name, that Jesus is actually not uh, condoning misogynistic, ethnocentric behavior. And we have, unfortunately, had a lot of that in the church. And it turns out that the gospel is actually here to set us free from that kind of way of living in the world. At first glance, I'll admit that Jesus does appear to call a woman of a different ethnicity a dog, right? At first, it could feel like an insult. I just want to let you know this morning, very explicitly, men, you don't have permission to call women dogs. You cannot do that. But what is going on? I want you to notice that this woman, this woman does not bat an eye. She's not even in the least offended by what Jesus says. Well, why is that? Well, in one part, Jesus is simply naming the obvious. These, is, there is a meaningful hatred between these people. They are, as Josephus said, notorious enemies. And now the enemies of God's people are asking the Messiah of God's people for help. It's kind of a big deal. Jesus' response about the children being fed first, it does two things. The first thing it does is it reminds us, as Paul says, is that salvation is for the Jews first and then second for the Gentiles. And for us, probably sitting here watching today, majority Gentiles, we have to be reminded by this story that the story of the Bible isn't primarily about us. It's about a people, Israel, struggling to be faithful and failing, and a God who is relentless in love and faithfulness to them. It's primarily about that. And we as Gentiles are simply caught up in the salvation drama. But we aren't the stars of the show. We're here, in a sense, as guests by grace. And two, Jesus is, in a sense, playing the devil's advocate, if you can say Jesus plays the devil's advocate, I don't think you can say that, but if you could, I would say that. 
he is at least kind of playing the rabbi card. He is kind of putting out there this dialogue, kind of what you might expect him to say, to demonstrate um, that, yes, indeed, women like this are going to be included. They are going to have a seat at the table. Over and over again, we see Jesus feeding the masses. And the message here is that, yes, there is more left over. There is enough salvation left over for Israel. Will there be enough food left over for the Gentiles? Or will they have to continue to compete for the same resources? And it's with this exorcism that Jesus says, yes, there will be room at the table for all nations. I have come to end the hostility between Israel and her enemies. The story tells us that the power of the Messiah is none other than the power that makes unclean Gentiles clean. All right, we kind of dug in a little bit. I want us to step back for a second and just look at the big picture of what's happening in the narrative. And it was with these two points. The first one is kind of what we've been reviewing. Jesus, Israel's Messiah, is extending the table to include God's people people like you and me. In Romans 5, 8, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, but God proves his love for this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him, through him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, God rec- we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. This is the big picture of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is reconciling even the Gentiles to himself. And it turns out that there are folks like this woman who are able to acknowledge their uncleanliness, and they're the actually ones that are receiving the, the cleanness that Jesus is offering, right? They're the ones that are, are being made whole while the Pharisees, who are unable to recognize their impurity, they actually remain unclean. They are left blind and deaf in their sins. And then immediately after uh, this woman's daughter is healed, we have this episode where Jesus comes and he opens the ear of this man and he frees the tongue. And there's a lot of passages in Isaiah that this might recall. But one I thought of was in Isaiah 6, and Jesus had actually said this, quoted this passage to the Pharisees. God tells Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of these people dull. Stop their ears, shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. You see, friends, some folks are getting healed while others like the Pharisees are remaining deaf and aren't able to receive the good news. Jesus literally heals this guy's tongue. He's now able to receive the healing from Jesus and his tongue is now working properly that he can go and proclaim the good news of Jesus to others. So how can we respond to this gospel message this morning? Well, one way is I hope that this story inspires in us a humble 
gratitude. As I was talking about earlier, we get to belong to a story that did not begin with us. Salvation is from Israel, and most of us aren't. And so we can pray, God, make us like this woman, humble and full of faith and persistence. We need, in a sense, her attitude and her identity as we approach Christ. Some of you may be familiar, there's a prayer that we pray in the liturgy. And uh, in our church, we will pray it in the liturgy during Advent and during Lent because it's a little more penitential. And it's called the Prayer of Humble Access. And this is an old prayer in the Anglican liturgy. Some of you might be familiar with it. It goes like this, and it's inspired actually by this episode with the woman. And it's such a great uh, mindset for what it's like to approach our Lord at his table. It says this, we do not presume to come to this year's table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord that always delights in showing mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. It's a prayer that we pray before coming to the table. It's a prayer inspired by the faith of this woman. And we pray for God's grace to, to grant us the grace to have her same heart and to imitate her humility. First way we can respond is with humble gratitude. A second thing that we can respond with is evangelism. It should be really obvious that this passage is about evangelism and what is to come, right? This story is pointing to the future when the good news of Israel's Messiah is going to go out into the entire world. Jesus continues to welcome more and more people at the table. But in the story, we, always have, we also have a good reminder is that evangelism is best done by those who have experienced deliverance and healing in Christ Jesus. You think about the kind of deliverance that this woman's daughter has received and the testimony she's going to have. You think about the healing that this man received in his ears and in his tongue and how he's going to be able to go out and testify of the goodness of our Lord. And so we are called to join Jesus in this task of spreading the good news. Literally, we, we have this task from our Lord. We are the ones that are, in a sense, tasked to invite our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers to receive forgiveness in Jesus' name and join him here at this table. But I'm wondering if before some of us do, maybe there's something that we need to break free from this morning before our tongue is loosed to fully give the invitation Maybe there's some wounds that need to be healed. I can even imagine that for some of us, we've experienced hurt from the church. I can imagine that for some of us, we have some issues, and for good reasons, we might need some healing before our tongue can be untied and we can go out and invite others in. And my prayer for you this morning, if that's you, that you would work through that, that you would ask for God's grace that you would, I would love to just walk with you through that. I'd love to acknowledge maybe pain you've felt. I'd love to pray with you 
and ask for healing. Some of us have this interesting relationship, right? Even with the church. We love it. We know we're supposed to be here, but we also feel hurt by it. And we're kind of just walking in the church as wounded people. My prayer for you is that you would be healed in Jesus' name. Jesus is expanding the table. And every day we are encountering the Gentiles and the lost sheep of Israel that Jesus is wanting to invite to his table. God, grant us ears to hear and mouths to proclaim the good news of deliverance, healing, and salvation that is found in Jesus the Messiah. Amen.